0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded Podcast, the companion podcast to DigitallyDownloaded.net. I'm Matt and I'm going to be your host today because Alan's off in Fairyland. And this week with us, we have another Matt. Hello, other Matt.
1: Hello, first Matt.
0: Matt from shindig.nz. I should probably give you a call out. I, I probably should have been doing that like every month <laughs> since you've been on this podcast. But if you want to read a lot of Matt's really good quality writing, go and check out shindig.nz now on Metacritic. And he's got a review up there of Feta Morgana, which I read just this morning before this podcast. It was a good review, Matt. Thank you. Very good review of a very good game. Now yeah, it is, what is six, six Metacritic ratings, all 100. It's uh, the perfect we'll, game. We'll, we'll be in the critic updates, but yeah.
2: it's the Paddington Bear two of video games. That's
0: exactly it, that <laughs> exactly. and it's in the same audience. <laughs> exactly the same audience too. I'm sure the crossover between fans of Fata Morgana and yeah, fans of Paddington Bear two will be. very... a good.
1: lot of the same themes as well. I think.
0: <laughs> exactly. For people who maybe are tuning into this podcast and don't know about that little story, this week there was the fun news that um, Citizen Kane has been dumped off the top of the Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes actually Rotten Tomatoes ratings it was 100% but they found an 80 year old review or something which um was negative so that dropped it down to 99% and there is one 100% film left and that is Paddington 2 so yeah the best film of all time and Facing Morgana is the best game of all time thanks to people like Matt. moving on we also have Harvard hello Harvard
3: hello hello
0: And we have Trent. Hello, Trent. Hello. Cool. We're all here. We're all here and present and accounted for. So we're going to listen to some wonderful tunes from Hatsune Miku, and then we're going to come back and talk about the games that are coming out over the next month. back okie dokie so as we usually do with this podcast or as we always do with this podcast we're going to spend the first section running through the games that are coming out in may and there's there's not too many of them but there is a few that you're going to want to pay attention to i think so first up we have on the playstation 5 the two games per month that are releasing on playstation 5 at the moment first up we've got wreckfest that's like a car racing thing isn't it that's destruction derby like yeah. yeah so that's fun i i actually um i spent a lot of time playing destruction derby back in the day on the playstation 1 because it was one of the few games that had a decent demo <laughs> um i don't think i ever played the full game just the demo but yeah it was good fun so breakfast we also have on may 7 resident evil village i think people are looking forward to that i assume some people out there are it's got Mercenaries mode and zombie women and stuff. The demo was popular. Um, Then we've got Hood. Outlaws and Legends comes out on the same day. Well, that was a mistake. Um, I think Hood's like a multiplayer online thing, isn't it, where one person or a group of people play as Robin Hood and then another group of people play as the Sheriff of Nottingham or something. (laughs) Uh, But it is a purely PvP, PvE, game so if you're into your online things i think that's probably pitching at the same place as what was that ubisoft one um the rainbow sex no 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 the medieval knights versus um uh, uh, for honor for, for honor
3: for, 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 for,
0: for honor yeah for honor that's the one yeah so i think hood's pitching at about the same place as for honor then really, on may 14 we've got subnautica below zero i think that's pretty well received isn't it that's at least the last one was uh may 18 we've got void terrarium which was already released on the playstation 4 and nintendo switch it's a little roguelike thing which is actually very high quality i don't know what playstation 5 is going to bring because it wasn't exactly a you know a hardware pushing game but that is coming out on may 18 and then may 20 we've got the amazing american circus which I don't know anything about, but in theory, it could be good, I guess. Circus is a good fun. I like Circus. So I want to imagine that the game is somehow that. On PlayStation 4, there's more stuff, because you can obviously play on PlayStation 5 as well, Um, and developers are still taking advantage of that. On May 4, there's a game called The Colonist coming out. That's a city-builder-civilization thing where you play as cute little robots. That looks pretty fun. Then we've got Skate City coming out on May 6, which I imagine is pitching to the Tony Hawk fan crowd. We've also got Hood and Resident Evil Village coming out on the PlayStation 4 as well, so if you don't have a PS5 yet, you're not missing out on those games. On May 14, we have Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which is the HD version of the first three Mass Effect games when Mass Effect was still worth playing, and that'll be pretty good, I think. I'll definitely be dipping into that to play those again. I especially liked Mass Effect 3, actually. That was my thing. Um, You're
3: going to make everyone angry again.
0: Yes, I am. I am definitely when I go out and defend the ending of Mass Effect because nobody played that game right and nobody knows how to read a story. Um,
1: Sorry? What was that? I I said good luck with that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, that would one, that one's going to be fun. On May eighteen, there's a leisure, suit, a leisure Suit Larry game coming out. So cool. Why? Why? I don't know. Why? Why not? <laughs> Give me one good reason not to put out a no. Leisure Suit Larry game map. Have they? Have they ever been good? No. I, I think you're missing the point if you expect a game mm. to be good. That's true. All games are bad. <laughs> That's right. On May 20, Jay and Silent Bob, more brawl. So if for some reason you're still a fan <laughs> of Jay and Silent Bob, there you go. you got a brawler coming. I don't know why. I mean, that's a, that's an old thing, is Jay and Silent Bob.
3: I've never heard of that. I, don't, I swear you just made that up.
0: What, yeah. the game or Jay and Silent Bob?
3: What's Jay and Silent Bob?
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you have
3: to be oh old. Oh, my like, goodness. Like the Mets, it?
1: Yeah.
0: Damn Gen Zed.
1: I don't even know. Mate, <laughs> Your 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 young, innocent brain. Yeah. Just...
0: <laughs> All these Gen Zs, these Zoomers, they don't know anything anymore. Jane Silent, Jan Silent Bob was like uh, what Matt and I grew up with. Um, yeah. was kind of edgy, edgy humor. Go watch Chasing Amy. Actually, don't watch it because it's not a very good film, but that's, yeah. I mean, they had their own movies, but they were also in movies like Chasing Amy and Dogma and stuff, so... They're, they're just characters in a film series.
1: Um, that's basically a stoner road trip movie. Yeah, that's that's it. Ah, oh,
0: yes, dude, a Dude, where's my,
1: my car kind of thing. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, and then they take that character and put it into a whole lot of other films by that director, Kevin Smith.
3: Sounds very alien to me.
0: Yeah, it should be. <laughs> it's probably left in the kind of millennial humour category. And- <laughs> yeah. Nobody else ever needs to watch that. Moving on, Rust comes out on May 21, Rust Console Edition. That's that survival game that was controversial for reasons that were pretty silly at the time. And Who knows? Uh, I think it's built up a pretty good audience in the years since it first released on PC. So that's why they're doing a console version.
3: It's extremely toxic, so I don't know how it's gonna turn out. On oh, it's list, still or... toxic. Okay, it's, it's just such a it's such a neoliberal game in that the ideology is that just like kill everyone, get yourself rich, right? It's a very so, very hostile environment.
0: Sounds like most video games, to be honest.
3: No, but like especially <laughs> hostile. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, on on May twenty five, there's a game called Bio Mutant coming out. Bio Mutant is an open-world post-apocalyptic kung fu fable RPG with a unique martial arts-style combat system. So that's just a word salad. Um, and it's got like a mutated cat on the cover with a weapon. Anyway, that's coming out on May 25 if you're interested in open-world post-apocalyptic kung fu fable RPGs. On May 25, we've got King of Seas coming out. That's an action role-playing game set in a procedural pirate world, so roguelike. It's a roguelike pirate game coming out on May 25. On May 25 as well, there's Shin Megami Tensei III Nocturne HD Remaster, which I have been playing and can confirm it is a very good game. Remade very nicely. If you like your brutally dark RPGs, that one is for you.
3: How many
0: times have you been body Oh, well, constantly. I've lost count. Uh, On May 27, Earth Defence Force World Brothers comes out. Now, that is a cute little blocky version of Earth Defence Force, which looks really adorable and very entertaining. It's been far too long since the last EDF, and I'm very much looking forward to playing that when it comes out. On May 27, we've got Warhammer Age of Sigma Stormground which I don't know much about because I never played the tabletop um, Age of Sigmar, but there you go, that's coming out. should be Warhammer-like. On May 28, there's a game called Song of Horror coming out on console. Now, I did write a preview or just a news article when they announced that it was coming out. I think it was about a week ago now. And it looks really good. It's a stalker horror thing that was originally released on PC in episodic format. It's coming to console with all the episodes in one go. And it looks pretty intense as a horror thing. So if Resident Evil isn't your thing, but you still like horror games, then you have one to look forward to at the end of May. Right, moving on to Nintendo Switch, where all the crap gets released. The amount of shovelware that you have to walk through, wade through to get to the good games on the Switch now is ridiculous. Uh, May six, a game called Cyberhive comes out, a strategic space travel simulator with a non-linear story in the cosmic opera setting and an anime visual style. So if Alan was here, his ears would be burning. But there you go. Actually, that's nothing compared to the next one I'm going to mention. Poker Pretty Girls Battle Fantasy World Edition. That is coming out on Switch on May sixth. It is a sexy poker game. Which which with anime characters. So that,
3: In my that, notebook I've literally just written Poker Sex.
0: Poker Sex. It's um
3: it's gonna get a <laughs> it, let's face one.
0: it, it's gonna
3: get a five out of five from me, so it's please. like Pokemon but sex. You gotta collect them all. <laughs> no, there's, not been not. A, there's been a lot of these recently where it's just like a match three game, but there's fan servers in it.
0: Yeah, there's a company, East Asia Soft, is porting a lot of them to the Switch and finding an audience doing so, so good on them. You can get your sexy on the train while you're commuting, (laughs) playing sexy poker, and hoping nobody watches. Um, Moving on. Subnautica comes out on Switch as well. as uh, Both Subnautica, Subnautica Below Zero, and a pack of the two of them. That's on May 14th.
3: That's a real
0: I-thought-it-was-on-the-Switch-already moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the game that you hear enough about that you assume it's already on everything, but it hasn't been on Switch, so there you go. So the first big release for the Switch comes on May 14. That is Famicom Detective Club. There are two games in that, so if you buy them, you're, you're getting two different games. And I have been playing them for preview, and they are very good. They're kind of a detective visual novel thing, and... Yeah, you you definitely want to keep an eye out for those. It's amazing that Nintendo... They're remakes of a Nintendo uh, Entertainment System, and NES game, from 1988. And they've never been released in English before. Nintendo is actually localising them for the first time. And they're one of Nintendo's lesser-known properties. So you'll get your chance to play those this month. Leisure Suit Larry is also coming out on Switch too. If you want to play Leisure Suit Larry on the, go, on the go, you can do that. The Amazing American Circus is also coming out on Switch next month. So, cool. Metopia is also coming out in May. On May 21, that's another Nintendo game. I never played Metopia. That was a 3DS thing, right?
3: It's meant to be this, like, wacky RPG where your friends, your party members, I think.
1: Right, there you go. So, using Maze as your characters.
3: Yeah, Nintendo is very weird with their memes. Every yeah, now and yeah. then they're like, they're gone, they're back,
2: they're gone, <laughs> they're back. And everyone likes it right now because the most detailed memes have been for like a long time, and everyone's making like weird meme stuff with memes.
1: Yeah, but even detailed memes are still ugliest and so <laughs> I hate them so much.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well now you have a whole world of them. They're still better than Pop Popcaps. Uh, pop, uh, pop... Vinyls. On the, pop on caps. Pop,
0: yeah. yeah, but that's basically... Everything's better than those, trend. <clears throat> Um. So, also on the Switch... On May 25, Maneater, for some reason. I don't know why. I don't think it sold that well. I don't know why okay. they keep porting it to everything else. But I if you like to play Killer Shark, it. there you go. Maneater's out on May twenty-five. Also on May 25, Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne is coming out on the Switch as well. That's probably the place you want to play it, be able to play it on the go. The Switch is also getting Earth Defense Force World Brothers. That's the first time an ADF game has been on the Switch. There is also going to be Warhammer Age of Sigmar on the Switch on May 27. Horse Club Adventures comes out on May 27. If you like your horse riding, you'll be able to play that. That's going to be the game of the month, I'm sure um world's end club comes out on may 28 nippon ichi is localizing that one i think it was a mobile game was it first and they've picked that up
3: it sounds so familiar what's the premise
1: i don't know um it's the one from <laughs> the danganronpa and ah uh, oh reward are the... kind of team up team up thing Right, so
0: that suddenly gets my
1: interest a lot more.
0: (laughs) The Rumper Writer is back. So there we go. I'll play that. And uh, that's basically it for the month. So not a huge number of games, but more than enough to keep you busy anyway. We'll start with Trent. Trent, you get to pick one game. Tell us which one, if you could only play one game this month, which one would it be?
2: I think I'm going to end up buying Resident Evil. Or Metopia, one of them.
0: That's quite a difference.
2: It is very different.
0: I mean,
3: <laughs> scary in different ways.
0: <laughs> well, actually, that's true. They are both horror games, I guess. In a way. <laughs>
3: um, Harvard, what about you? You get to pick one game. Oh, man. This is a real backlog month for me, I think. If anything, for this month, maybe Mass Effect series, just because I've actually never played them. So I feel like I need to go back and figure out what the hubbub is about.
0: Yeah, you should probably play them once. I mean, They were back when Bioware was good before EA managed to screw them up, so.
3: Yeah, and they're real hard to access, but everyone keeps referencing them. So I feel like now is the time, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can only play them on last, kind of um, legacy hardware at the moment. So I do think it was the right idea to do that trilogy. Would have been nice to have it on the Switch as well. It would have been really nice, but I played on PS Five. Uh, Max, what about you?
1: Uh, uh, there's cho- so many choices. Um, I think I'm going with World World End Club. Um, just the I think the the combination of Dungeon Romper Writer and Virtue's Last Reward Writer and like a weird. It is not the right word, but sort of post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic platformer-ish adventure game type of thing about a group of kids who have been stranded somewhere, trying to make their way back home to Tokyo. Sounds very interesting. Um, Yeah, it could be quirky, is what you're saying. Yeah, quirky (laughs) is the right word. Quirky. I do like quirky. That's my that's my word. Yeah, it looks. It's the kind of thing that looks from the outside like it might be quite wholesome, but you know it's not going to be just because of who's involved. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that is appealing.
0: I'm sure it's going to be really quite the mind bleep, which would be good. Um, as for me, I'm going to... I mean, most people would probably assume I'd say Shumagami Tensei Nocturne. I do care about that game a great deal, but I'm actually going to say Famicom Detective Club is my pick for the month because... I am that invested in those games. I really, really hope that it works for Nintendo because those are great. (laughs) I'm not sure how it's going to go because I I do think most people are going to see them as just visual novels without much interaction. But then again, and Morgana with that 100 on Metacritic, maybe people are turning around on on visual novels. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there is chance for Famicom Detective Club yet. All right, so we're going to go to some music. I'm going to throw the DJ table, whatever they call it, to Trent to pick a song. How are the
2: turntables? I oh, know. What are we going to pick? Let's pick... Oh, let's pick something scary out of Resident Evil. Yes. Resident Evil has music. I, I, I assume so, does it From a movie. Sure, that's from a movie. I think Alan will pick the save music. Save oh, save. oh, the
0: save music... <laughs> The one time you feel safe in a Resident Evil game. Yep, okay, so Resident Evil save music. welcome back, everybody. Right, so we're going to talk about roguelikes this week to start with, um, because a big one got released uh, last week as we record this, Returnal, and it has kicked off debate. Admittedly, not too much debate about the actual roguelike stuff. (laughs) Um, The conversations that are happening around Returnal are related to other things, and not all of it is very pleasant. We're not going to go over it in the podcast, but... It is a roguelike, and it is an incredibly difficult game, in part because of its roguelike uh, qualities. And I know that you're not the world's biggest fan of what they've done with that, Matt.
1: No,
0: I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's a know, good game. I mean, I think we both, we, we all acknowledge that it's uh, it plays nicely, and it has plenty of qualities which are good. But I think... You definitely sit on the lower end of the Metacritic ratings for the game, and yeah. I'm I'm below the average as well.
1: I think for me, and I like roguelikes like quite a lot. I never used to, but I've come around to them in the last few years and have learned to really appreciate kind of what they do. And the I think you, we were talking about this in the chat, and you said they are. Uh, by design, inherently unfair as a thing and that is just, yeah. Um, but there is, when they're made well, that unfairness is fun and yeah. interesting yeah. and part of what um, makes them worth playing and I think a good roguelike makes you want to keep coming back to it despite being unfair. Um, Returnal doesn't. I think Returnal is a game that, for lots of various reasons, that I don't need to get into too much detail. It's, for me, a game where you die lots and often suddenly and often randomly and often for reasons beyond your control, which are all roguelike things. But in Returnal, when you do that, or I, it makes me just not want to come back, which is different to most other roguelikes where you, you die. That was a wild ride. Okay, let me try again because that was a lot of fun. Um, and I think an important thing is, as much as you're going to die, feeling like there was some value in that, and whatever way that may be, maybe it's you know rogue lights kind of thing with permanent progression system. Maybe it's sort of the story unfolding through each death in the way that Hades does it. Um, maybe it's just kind of getting a better understanding of the game system and systems and how they all piece together uh or even just you know going back to rogue itself thinking about you know the way items work and how different combinations of of items and equipment and the can make can change the way you actually play the game and approach it in, in such a drastic fashion that uh even when you're dying just experimenting with all those options is its own kind of reward um yeah
0: i mean i think for me
1: a roguelike is a
0: good kind of loop where after you die you feel like the next time you give it a go you've got a better than zero chance of making it through if that makes sense mm-hmm. that you get to well, let's say we're playing one of the mystery dungeon games, for example, and you get to level six of the tower before some monster comes out and wallops you. The for me, the replay value is in knowing the next time I get to that level six of the tower, through a combination of being better familiar with the with the game and the, the way its difficulty works and the luck of the drawer and all those kinds of things, knowing that that next time that I get to that level six of the tower, I will be able to progress or at least have a good chance of progressing past that. For me, the problem I had with Returnal and it really did try my patience and my willingness to play the game. If I wasn't reviewing it, I probably would have given up a lot earlier on than I did. But with, with Returnal, I hit walls constantly and I would get to a, boss it was usually a boss and i would get walloped big time within seconds and i would be left thinking i'm going to have that same experience the next time i get to that boss <laughs> and the next time and the next time I, i'm not going to make progress through this boss anytime soon and that becomes kind of claustrophobic it becomes very difficult to want to play when you know that you're in for a long ride before you make any progress between before be, beyond that bit that you got stuck at. So I feel like that was where um Returnal lost me a bit in terms of the difficulty. I'm not I'm a big fan of difficult games. Uh, you and I have talked plenty often about Neo and Dark Souls <laughs> and whatever. And those games for me are much more fair. I get to a boss in Neo, he's probably going to wipe the floor with me the first time, but I'm going to walk away from that with a sense that okay, the next time I'm probably going to get a little bit further into defeating this boss. And while that's not a roguelike, I think that that's a better approach to difficulty. Mm. And I think. Yeah, was still... Oh,
3: sorry.
1: I, was yeah, was a, I think um, Returnal's bosses kind of work like that. And it was, I think one of the things I enjoyed most about Returnal were the boss fights. And they kind of. I, I mean, granted, I like Bullet Hells a lot as well, but the complexity of them and the spectacle and that kind of. through. Kind of practice and trial and error, figuring out the exact way to deal with every different thing that it throws at you um, that process is a lot of fun and really rewarding, but less so when every failure comes with spending at least fifteen minutes if you're rushing more like half an hour to an hour if you want to like actually get enough gear to stand a chance. Um, i think it and i think that, that for me was one of the most frustrating things about returnal is the way the roguelike stuff detracted from what i most enjoyed about everything else about it
0: yeah i mean i i actually enjoyed the the pro- progress i think i think we're kind of looking at it from <laughs> different angles it, it was funny reading your review against mine we we have kind of opposite opinions but in a way that work kind of, is kind of complementary but i um I I liked the journey to the bosses, and I certainly thought that the bosses were spectacles that were interesting, and if I had a better chance at defeating those bosses, I would have probably enjoyed them more. But I ended up being quite intimidated intimidated by them because there were times where I would be getting up to this boss a ninth or tenth time, and I'd be like, I still really don't understand how to beat this boss. It didn't help that a lot of the boss fights were kind of um, bullet hell in nature, and I'm terrible at bullet hells. So that certainly didn't help me either. But yeah, I, I definitely hit walls, like actual walls, where there there was just I had no sense of how I was going to get past that part of the
3: game. It's a third person shooter, right? Yes. Like, so is it very skill intensive, like is it very intensive, just dexterity, or is it more about the lutes and the equipment? Oh no, it,
0: it it's definitely skill based. Uh, it, like I said, it, it especially the bosses, they have this bullet hell feel to them where the screen will be filled with projectiles, and you need to be able to maneuver around, find cover, um, and avoid them as much. It, it focuses on a lot of mobility. You do need to move mm-hmm. around the space a lot if you're going to defeat the bosses, especially. Uh, so it's certainly not a stand-and-deliver, slow-paced shooter. Yeah, and... I remember reading this
3: article which was saying that the rogue-like design philosophy is actually completely at odds with skill-based gameplay because you want to use your ingenuity and your planning and your exploration to get past obstacles and roguelikes. Whereas skill-based games, you kind of just like try to climb a tree with your skill, right? So they used um, Enter the Gungeon as an example, which in that game, the rogue lights mechanics don't really matter because you should just be good enough at shooting and dodging to beat the game with whatever the game gives you. And those two spheres of the game, the randomness and the uh, combat actually go against each other. So I was wondering if that similar thing is happening with returnal
1: Matt might might disagree I think definitely it is it's a um, yeah skill is the most the main thing there's not with the random stuff and the way upgrades and things work there's not. That much variety in how they actually influence how you play the game mm. essentially, your option you don't really have uh options for different builds um and too much scope to let what you've just happened to find and pick up uh create new opportunities for solving things it's you pick up things that make you do more damage and take less damage. Um and so that gives you more depending on what you find it's easier to it gives you more uh room for error i guess in in the skill based gameplay, but nothing that really changes how you approach what the game's throwing at you oh,
0: that yeah I mean, really for, bad. for <laughs> me the the biggest the biggest randomization element was uh, i that I felt anyway as I was playing was more to do with the actual levels yeah um and the progress that you take to get to the boss that level, that was fairly, that did feel fairly randomised so that each time you were trying to do a run, the experience would be fundamentally different. And that that worked for me. I thought that was fine. Um, yeah. I, I didn't have an
1: issue with the procedural levels in the game. I thought that they I think they encourage exploration really well. Mm, yeah. Uh, especially when you, when there's like a kind of a light Metroidish touch with some of the permanent Upgrades that thankfully are not—you don't lose them every, every time you die—but like a part way through, you get a grappling hook, which means that um, there are places that you can access that you couldn't before.
2: Ah, uh, yes. So it's a Metroidvania.
3: Sounds like uh, just adding every quality into this game now. It's a—it's a, it's a uh, roguelite uh, Metroidvania uh, third-person uh, shooter.
1: It's—it's it's a, it's a roguelike Metroidvania third-person shooter bullet hell. Survival uh, horror. Yeah,
0: with with <laughs> with a, a, a souls like attitude to boss battles.
3: Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm in so much
1: pain.
0: <laughs> I mean, it, it, once again, we're, we're critical of it, but there, there's so much to actually admire about Return. Yeah. Um, it is right on the cusp of being a genuine classic. I felt um, it just. I, I think for me, I would rather it have not been a uh, a roguelike at all. I think, I think if they had have been gone with kind of you know, human designed levels in the same way that the Souls games were, I, I think they would have had a little bit more control over the experience. Mm. And I think that's the thing that from from a game development perspective. I understand why a lot of developers, especially indie developers, work with roguelikes because that is a very easy way to fill your game with content. Um, without having to have you know entire teams working on level design and stuff. But the problem is you are ceding a lot of control over the experience to a bunch of random number generators. And if you're not really careful about that, then you can lose kind of control over the, in, the entire game. I felt like Hades was a great example of a developer working with the roguelike system but still keeping control over the experience so that it felt cohesive it felt like there was uh continuity to it so each time you replayed it was still building on what you had already experienced so but but that's hard i think that's really hard a lot of developers just throw procedural generation in there as a way of getting content out of the game and i feel like returnal did that a little bit it's obviously a triple a you know blockbuster game with a lot of resources behind it. But I still feel like the developers use this random stuff to hide the fact that they didn't have the resources to build all of this stuff themselves, if that makes sense.
3: Do you think it's cheaper to to randomly generate now that compared to traditionally designed levels?
0: Traditionally designed levels require level designers. (laughs) You actually have to have human talent uh fix uh, you know focused on that stuff so and it needs to be built into the whole game you need to have them on board from the start to to be working with the art designers and the narrative writers and all that stuff Le- level design is definitely a um a resource that you you need to do properly i feel like with roguelikes it is it is a cheaper option because the systems are already there uh, the understanding on how to do procedural generation in video games is already there You obviously have to make it work uh, and then turn it into your own thing. But I I, I do feel like the reason it has been such a popular option at indies is that it allows indies to produce games that have the same length as full kind of projects without having to resource uh, to the same level.
1: Anyway, that's just my random thoughts. (laughs)
0: Most proce- I mean... procedurally
1: generated thoughts. Um <laughs> procedural procedurally generated games still require the, those, for, those an, thoughts it, weren't
2: padded it, out an, enough. Yeah. It still led to awkward silence. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean they still require someone to design the components and you can see the difference. The difference is really stuck between a roguelike with where with good level design in the pieces that are being randomly put together and one that isn't Um, but yeah i think probably overall i think more just straightforward level design is a a more complex uh i don't know if more complex is the right word but requires more time investment and and actually figuring out how the the overall like end to end thing all fits together. I mean
0: in in an ideal world if you're going to do level design then you want to and I hate to keep referencing that because it's kind of the the thing you're not meant to reference anymore but if you are going to do level design you want to do something like a, a Souls like game or mm-hmm. a Dark Souls game where the the level itself is a character it's a personality within the game and it's telling story it's actively telling story as you play through it the, the intricacies of the way that you move around the space has meaning, and the, there's kind of a whole philosophy behind what the level is actually saying and doing, which you want to implement into the game. If you're going to go down the level design route, then you actually need to think about it. And that's 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 a, a, that's a degree of talent that is, is pretty rare in video games. Mm. Um, you can't do any of that with procedural generation. There's just no way you can actually tell a story through the level design itself in those games. For a good example, I mean, I think Hades is a masterfully done roguelike, and I do think that the design elements that they put into the game really work. They they carefully considered how the procedural generation would affect the way that you move through the levels, and so on. But the levels themselves in um, in Hades weren't carrying too much weight in terms of The experience. I feel like everything that was going on within them and the narrative elements that would pop in and out um, was really where that game's personality came from but in terms of the the movement through the world because the developers didn't have control over exactly what you were going to see, they couldn't predict it therefore they couldn't write it into the experience as such
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true
2: but, Do you think um, there'll be a point oh, where things oh, are procedurally generated enough that, like, I don't know, maybe like, there's enough data in both the narrative, like maybe a procedurally generated narrative and level design, which would somewhat trick your mind into thinking it's more seamless? Yeah? Well, I don't know where I was going um, with that. <laughs> <more>. <laughs> I
0: mean, procedurally generating narrative is, is something that won't happen until AI gets to a really advanced state to actually write things on the fly. Well, less
2: so much written stuff but more like um the level design has more uh environmental narrative storytelling maybe that like to make it seem like okay well the narrative is lending itself to this element in the level and then it seems like it's seamless and was intended
0: it would be still very difficult to do because i mean to think about it in a really reductionist sense right If you have random elements, then it also means that there's the chance that a player won't experience something when they go through the game at that point. So if, for example, there was this room that you've designed um, to pop in and out, um, you know, one of the the random mix. So as you're playing through, you could encounter this room. If you don't encounter it, the experience still needs to be the same. So if you write the narrative into the random elements, then... How do you account for what happens if the player doesn't experience those narrative elements? So, as a result, when there is randomization in the, the way that a story works in roguelikes, it tends to be quite shallow because you still need to have a complete experience if you don't experience that little cut of narrative. Um, I, I don't think personally, I don't think that randomization works in narrative because I think that the creators behind a game. Need to understand what their players are experiencing to some level, um, and they need to have that level of certainty in order to to make each part of the narrative important to the experience. But with that being said, I mean, I, I'm certainly not against roguelikes. I think roguelikes are a great genre. I really enjoy. Um, Mystery Dungeon games I enjoyed 90% of (laughs) Returnal uh, outside of the difficulty of the the boss battles and stuff Um, I I think roguelikes are great, I just think that they have certain weaknesses that developers should probably be a little bit more aware of
1: (laughs) Um, sometimes They're good at what they do but what they do isn't a a good fit for every game Um, and I think the popularity of them, there is a risk of it just becoming the thing to do without really thinking about why
0: yeah it's like open worlds right um and i think we even talked about that in a podcast a while back that like the big developers do open worlds almost by default now because that's the thing you do indies do roguelikes almost by default because that's the thing you do you end up with million different games claiming to be a roguelike. I
2: would uh, argue, even India's when it doesn't always fit, farming simulators by default right now. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: that's becoming it as well.
2: <laughs> but I mean, that's that's the thing can't you can't play just an open
1: world,
0: roguelike farming. Simulator <laughs> you you can't just kind of shove squares into circular holes or whatever. Not every game needs to be a, a open world game. Not every game benefits from being an open world game. I think it's the same with roguelikes. Not every game idea benefits from procedural generation. All right, on that note. We're going to go to a break. We're going to listen to some music from whatever Harvard's going to say. And then we're going to come back and talk about something else. So, Harvard. The
3: the Enter the Gungeon theme song. Enter the Gungeon theme song. Everyone should play that game. It's a good game. Be high, take the temples or a gun, disintegrate a
4: palpation or make a demon head for the hater. Need to call on play gauge gun, but lights break the dungeon, evil dungeon man till a robot's right hand. Which is fine, never leader a boat.
0: we are back so we're going to be talking about a another genre for this section the sim genre and we're talking about this because trent wanted to <laughs> that's basically how it it all me. <laughs> <laughs> so um i mean what what did you want to talk about here trent what was no. what was it about the sim uh, was the sim genre that piqued your interest this week
2: My interest. Well, um, the the announcement of that new zoo game that was pretty cool, and I'm like, you know, that gives me some nostalgia for the days of you know theme park, theme hospital, all that sort of stuff. And it was in my mind that you know if if people are making those games again, let's talk about them.
0: (laughs) There's a sim zoo game that was announced. I didn't. Yeah. um,
2: No more robots. Oh, okay. Cool. That's pretty neat.
3: Because uh, Zoo Tycoon never really took off, even though the first one was pretty good.
2: Yeah, that
0: was the thing. I mean, I, I always liked the... I personally liked the Zoo Tycoon games, but they weren't huge. Um, not like rail, Roller Coaster Tycoon or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, I think... There was a, there was a Zoo game, a, a Zoo simulator, that was produced Planet fairly zoo. recently, wasn't it? Planet, yeah, Planet, Planet Zoo. Blue.
1: You played that, didn't you, Matt? Yeah, I did. Was it good? That's good. It's uh, you have to invest a lot of time into understanding all the how it all works. But once you do that, it's really good. It's basically planet coaster, but for zoos. That's so it's that same kind of very uh, focused on the on the complex end of it and the freedom that comes with that complexity, but the learning curve that comes with it as well.
3: Can I ask with these games? Is your preference to play it as like an actual job manager, be the best zoo maker you can? Or do you just go off the rails and do crazy stuff?
0: Well I imagine Trent Trent would be going off doing crazy stuff, right, yeah. Trent?
2: Oh yes, yeah, definitely. I, I, I like the management <laughs> side of things, don't get me wrong. And but I wouldn't these sort want of games an like animal. even Sim City, I like to do the money cheats and just do just stuff. <laughs> No, SimCity's
0: an Sim okay. Sim, Sim, Sim fun where you put a, a, a Typhoon or a Tornado or Bowser
1: to come crashing
0: through the city yeah Bowser did you never play the SimCity on the uh, the Super Nintendo?
3: no that game's like impossible to access now because of licensing
0: <laughs> so SimCity on the Super Nintendo had Bowser as a disaster
3: that's, that's
4: actually hilarious <laughs>
0: It was pretty cool. It comes smashing through your city and everything had burned down. It, it was a it was a nightmare. But yeah, that was good fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, for for me with Sims, I don't know. I, I think I, I I much prefer. I think I I do prefer games that are, are fairly dry. I guess in terms of do you like
3: the A Train games, right? You're like one of the three people who likes the A Train games. I
0: love A Train. Matt likes A Train too, right, Matt? Second
3: person who likes the. <laughs> it's just yeah. a thing. It's people A-Train's who have the, who
0: are named Matt. It's just for yeah. people who are named Matt. But yeah, I like A Train, and that was that, that game's about as hard. A, a Sorry, clone though. of
1: Matt. Yes. I am actually just a clone of Matt. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if we've we've told anyone yet, but
0: yeah, we're we're all just the same person. Um, it's the name. I'm telling you, every Matt thinks exactly the same way too. But yeah, A Train's great, and it is kind of the example of the sim game I really enjoy, where. Not only are you carefully constructing train lines and um organizing the schedules so that they're all right on time every minute, but then you also need to deal with the stock this <laughs> the stock market um for for reasons and yeah it's uh it's a very complex game it takes many hours to get into, but once you get into it it's pretty rewarding and I guess I like it because it does capture the essence i guess of, of the real world job and i think that was the thing when, when i originally played sim city the original i think it was the second one um was my first sim city and i read somewhere that it was actually based on real world city planning um techniques and stuff and i think that was what attracted me to the genre and has kind of continued on since so for me um i wasn't a huge fan of planet coaster which is apparently controversial thing to say because everyone loves that game but it was it felt a little bit too uh safe on the simulation side of things is that fair to say matt
2: i don't know um i i'd agree with flight planets coaster I, i'd back you up there I, like yeah. those more like the roller coasting games like i feel they're like, I want something a little bit more theme parky, and I know that some of them are, like, theme park with their roller coasters, but I feel like they're just focusing, like, their big thing is, you can make roller coasters, and it really turns me off to, like, not even investigate the game, because it's, like, all about roller coasters, and I hate roller coasters in real life, so what's the point about playing games with roller coasters?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, I think it was that I ended up spending so much time with Planet Coaster trying to make the, the thing pretty, because she needed to have, like, an aesthetic rating, so I would be putting all this this junk down on the the pathways up to each ride to to try and make it all pretty. And I, I didn't really want to do that. I just wanted to manage a theme park. And I have the same issue, I think, with also... I mean, I played the Jurassic Park one, which, as a fan of Jurassic Park, should have appealed to me more than it did. Because I think my big problem with these games is it feels like the fail state for them is too abstract. It feels like maybe you can fail in these games but the idea is not to challenge you with the consequence being a fail if you don't manage a park well. Does that make sense? I feel like I I want my decisions to matter when I'm making these games and if I make a bad decision I get punished for it.
3: Like in in real life.
0: Yeah, go bankrupt. Like The earlier SimCity games especially, if you took out all these loans to build all this great stuff... You'd have a really nice-looking city, but then you'd quickly run into money trouble. Um, and then the power would go out and all the sims would start hating you, so they'd start leaving it. would be this kind of um, this snowballing effect. And too many modern simulating games feel a little bit too gentle on that side of things, I think.
3: Now, kind of like the reverse, where they, instead of punishing you if you fail succeed there's games that give you monuments or goals that are really difficult to achieve unless you understand the systems well and so you get your sense of challenge that way my example is always like roller coaster tycoon where there's always there's always missions and side quests and some of them are actually really hard to do unless you know the systems of the game really well like you can plan around your park and your roller coasters and your marketing and make everything work together then you can achieve that difficult goal that you wouldn't have been able to do, but your park still would have kept going. You just wouldn't have had that gold trophy, you know?
0: See, the thing with um, roller coaster Tycoon that always put me off a little bit was the lack of sandbox mode with a lot of them. <laughs> um,
1: because that's the <laughs> other funny thing. story about
0: that. I like sandbox modes in my simulations. I I always default to them when I play them. I'm not a big fan of mission stuff in, in, in Sims.
3: Uh, Chris Sawyer, the developer behind uh, Rollercoaster Tycoon hated sandbox mode because he his whole spiel was that you should be playing the game to do missions he didn't understand why anyone would want to just build a park for fun
2: see i hate missions because missions are, always feel so shoehorned like they all they're really stupid things and like in some games where it's like theme park or, or not theme park like theme hospital like all the hospital simulated style games um where they're like okay well your next one is like your sold your hospital you've moved on to the you know the new lot you're gonna be the new doctor that's the end of the story you might have a few missions in terms of like they're the end goals you need to cure x amount of people that sort of thing they're okay but like other ones where it's like more as the level is evolving or more like okay well you know you have to go and do this mission to like build like a particular park infrastructure right now because of reasons or something silly like i don't know i just feel like they're really shoehorn to make you make the park the way they want you to make the park
3: yeah you yeah, did design them very carefully so you have some kind of open-ended way to reach that goal but yeah i get what you mean you definitely need to balance that
0: but you mentioned um you, you mentioned the, the the hospital one um the recent release of two-point hospital was a good example of what i was talking about earlier that it felt like I couldn't fail when I was playing that game. I don't know if I'm just that good at simulations that, if I've somehow entered a zone where I just can't screw up when I play, but I don't think so. I think that it just felt like it was just so generous <laughs> that the fail state wasn't really there, not in any kind of meaningful way. And oh, yeah. I love
2: two point, but I think two points whole point was nostalgia. And being a really smooth, you know, fun, easy to pick up game to go, Oh, I remember Theme Hospital. I think that was the whole point. There's a few mechanics in it and that's the thing, but mostly it's like, Okay, well I need X rays here or, you know, like you know, I like I, <laughs> I
0: did I did like the humor of um, two point hospital. I thought it was good fun. But yeah, it just it didn't tick the simulation box for me. Um, for me the the simulation that I've been coming back to a lot over the last couple of years is uh, project Highrise, which is a sim tower like uh, simulation, and it is more than willing to fail you if you mm-hmm. aren't um, smart about how you spend your money and how you build up your tower. so yeah it, it's a very dry looking game it doesn't it doesn't look like much. But that's the one that I've been really hooked on over the last couple of years as my kind of go-to when I feel like I'm playing, when I'm feel like I'm in the mood for a sim game. That being said, if they put Sims on Switch, I'd be there an instant for that, I think. How have they not done that yet?
3: The Sims series is weird now, I think.
0: Yes, it is. EA. EA, man, they just can't do anything right. But, yeah, the Sims is, I, I love the Sims um
2: but i, I think I we're due on the for field. a sims 5 like we're, we're due for one so like i i hope once they get to the sims 5 year and they announce it and they get into the vibe that there's other sort of things i remember sims 3 had a lot of them like Castaway and um those sort of style games which were on the um switch and other consoles whereas they weren't the main sims but and, and Herbs, you know, the urban one, you know. Oh, oh. <laughs> the Herbs was the, the best game. Dude, that was such a good game.
1: It's going to be the Switch one. It'll be a new, a new version of Herbs.
3: <laughs> that was just a game where you were a, a millennial and you had no money. You were sleeping <laughs> yeah. on, like, a couch you found out from the street. <laughs> and you were eating food from, like, a public barbecue because you had no money for a stove. That was a great game.
0: Unfortunately, um, being EA, it would be all, like, DLC onto a base Sims game now that is what they did. I, I yeah, I, I liked all of those kind of little spins offs they did, but it's quite obvious that EA would only do that via DLC and microtransactions now.
3: Yeah, they figured they figured out what makes money.
0: Yeah, exactly. And if you have a look at how much stuff you can buy for the Sims four, it's it's
3: insane. It's, it's always been like that. Thing. I remember they would all have these expansion packs, which was nice because you can kind of pick what you liked. Like, if you cared about pets, you could get the pets expansion. And if you didn't want magic powers, you just don't buy the magic powers one. But, yeah, money.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're definitely more spread across um, other things, or there's, like, a main pack which does certain things. But if you want, like, you know, like the eco pack, there's a main eco pack, but if you want laundries, like, You have to buy the laundry stuff pack, and it's not an expansion, it's just like an extra add on thing. And then suddenly your Sims are like dumping their clothes all over the house and they don't like clean them properly, and then your house is like messy. But then you can just go into like the editing tool and just delete them all anyway. So I don't know. (laughs) 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 Just imagining
3: that, just paying money for your your digital Sims to be bad at doing laundry.
2: Well, I wanted to build a tiny house. That's what I like uh, to do. I
0: like to I, I like to shove my sims into like super small houses where they have no money, and that's it.
2: The,
0: I never get them good jobs or anything. They just scratch for a living. Um, nothing. You know, it's
2: a simulation game. Don't even play the actual sims part. It's all about the building the houses, maybe running them through the house a bit, but building the house, you don't need anything else.
0: And then you fill it with all the really cheap furniture and stuff, and it's always breaking down, so they always have to repair it. That's always good fun.
2: And then they're sad because they have, like, bad furniture or bad, like, pictures and stuff on the wall because they need to have, like, perfect, like, landscapes or whatever the sim rating is for that. And That's then you for, then you, forget to lock, right
0: you forget to lock the door so people just show up to your house at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. Come barging in, put the music on, and start rocking out. While your trying to, <laughs> your Sims Sims are trying to sleep. It's a pretty funny game. The Sims is great. It's a, a, the funny thing. actually, you know, on a more serious note, it amazes me that nobody has done a Sims like.
2: Oh, kind of there's, uh, there's a few indie sort of stuff which has coming been coming out in the past few years where they're making like housing style games, but they haven't really released. So, well, no, it's
0: more about the yeah. the life the life stuff like the sim because you know EA screwed up um, Sim City, so the developer I can't remember which developer it was came along and made City Skylines to to you know um, to save Sim City as such. Oh
3: yeah, and EA screwed up um, the roller coaster Reboot a billion times. So
0: well, I mean EA has theme park they let that die, uh, and Rollercoaster Tycoon is Atari and Atari is terrible as well so along came somebody to make project coaster right um the zoo tycoon games didn't do very well i don't even know who actually made those but they're not being made anymore so somebody came along and made the new zoo ones and i'm just wondering why nobody has taken a crack at doing a sims when people are not necessarily happy with what ea did with the sims 4 and I, I just feel like there would be a space there for some other developer to do a similar thing with The Sims. I'd certainly play it.
2: That said, though, some Indies are making some really cool games. Like you've got that one where it's like the the cult, like you live in a cult and like you manage the cult. Like that's the that's coming out. And then you've got like um, all these new um, prison architect style games as well. And then you've got. Uh, the other developers making that uh, tavern simulator game. That could be fun. But there's all like different genres than what they used to be. And yeah, I feel just... like the indie
3: sims have some kind of spin on it, right? There's like the, the Team 17 survivalists, colonists kind of thing. But there's no just standard, you're in a neighborhood, make a person, make a house.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, I would like for an indie to take a crack at that. Just give us a silly little game where we can make a sim that has a dungeon. I'm sure there's some
3: copyright thing. (laughs) Some copyright thing on this.
0: Yeah, it's probably been painted like crap. Like, ES probably, gonna ruin anybody that tries it. But that would be the one thing that I I, I would like to see in the sim space, I think. Somebody else do another one of those.
2: For humans, the twist is that the simulation is actually the player.
0: All right. We'll um, give that a wrap, shall we? That was a good section. We had a good chat about Sims. Then Um, we'll go to some music. What's some good music?
3: Does anyone have the original themes? Original Sims theme in there? Oh, Super Nintendo, Super Nintendo
0: SimCity theme. There we go. Never heard that in my life. Well, now you're gonna. Now I am. It's good music when Bowser attacks.
3: You could genuinely be lying to me, and I would, I would just take it right now. There's no oh, way I Sim can
0: City. prove that Bowser Sim attacks City. on SimCity. <laughs> SimCity's got a good music. How how do you not have an emulator, Harvard? Just download an emulator, download the ROM and play the thing.
4: Yeah, it's to Nintendo's
0: to... fault for not making it available, so it's totally it's totally legit as far as I'm concerned. And we are back. So, for the last section of the podcast this month, we are going to be talking about photos. Mostly because I've been playing Pokemon Snap like crazy, and it's all I can see. In my The entire world is just a lens to me now. Everywhere I go, I'm just looking at everything like it's through a lens, and I just want to take photos of everything. But you know,
3: the other <laughs> day I, I was absorb. just walking down the street, and a bird flew in my path, and my first instinct was to take a photo of it. <laughs> Well, when you get a
2: proper DSLR camera and stop playing your video games, your life is like <laughs> that all the time anyway.
0: <laughs> uh, but seriously, Pokemon Snap, it's excellent. It's so much fun. Uh, I haven't actually got my review up just as we're talking about this because I only got my copy yesterday, but I am deeply engaged in this game's content. Um, it's It's really good. And we wanted to do this section to talk about kind of games that are focused around photography because there are more of them now. There was one that was released about two weeks ago where you need to run around a forest taking photos of squirrels and stuff. I can't remember what it's called. It came out, yeah. I really
3: wanted to play that. I didn't know it came
0: out. And it's got a really lovely art style and it's an indie Pokemon Snap only real animals kind of thing. Um, And I, I, I wanted to do this section because I wanted to talk about how good I think photo modes are or games that are based around photos, not photo modes, but games that are photo- based around photography. Because when you think about it, photography works a little bit like a... Mechanically, it's not that dissimilar to a shooter, but it's not violent. Therefore, it's actually good, um, is, is basic, my, my kind of theory about this. And I would like to see more games kind of try and do that. I would love to see... Uh, kind of military game, but instead of playing as a guy with a gun shooting people, you play as like a war war journalist or something and need to go get, you know, photos. I mean, it'd be pretty effective.
2: Isn't that UGAMI generation, Bo?
0: That's another game with photo modes too, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's a, another game the the, the game. whole point yeah. is the photo, <laughs>
0: yeah. I haven't played it yet. I, I do, I know I need to, but I haven't. Oh,
2: it, 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 it you, you're like describing like you know the fojas and stuff like that. The whole the whole thing is like there's like shrimp yeah. and stuff like that, and they're attacking the world. But like, um, the whole thing is like the there's like all this UN propaganda that they're like evil and shit. like, yeah, I, I thought it would be like way up your alley. <laughs> <laughs> Look, like, like I a, said, I do like know I man. need
0: to play it, but I haven't yet. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Do you know what's
3: interesting about Pokemon Snap, though, compared to Umurungu's generation, is that because it's on rails, you get that sense of urgency. Like, if you don't take it right the second, you'll miss it. Whereas I feel like of other photo games, because you can wait around and wait for the perfect shot, it doesn't feel the same as playing a shooter because you don't have that sense of urgency.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And I do think you're right about that, that a big part of the shooter genre as such is that excitement and that thrill. And recreating that really does require the developers to think about ways to force you to move quickly. And Pokemon Snap does do that. I mean, it's not a really kind of Twitch action game by any means, but it does have that um, that that sense of timing.
3: I mean, uh, to me it is. Whenever I finish a, le- a, le- a level in Pokemon Snap, I feel like... I feel like I've just gone through a first-person shooter level because I've just been so tired. <laughs> Going left, right, left, right, move. Yeah, on. I know. You're constantly
0: looking around just hoping to get one uh, one good shot. I know. It's it's great. Um, I lost my track of thought there. I
3: just want to be playing Pokemon Snap right
0: now. <laughs> yeah, I just want to be playing Pokemon Snap. That's all I want to do now. This is this is my hobby now. Yeah,
3: but you, I, Are there any photo modes in other games that weren't the main appeal, but then became something bigger for you? Do you remember the first one that happened? Well, I
0: think it only really works when it is the focus of the game. I've never played a game where taking photos has been a secondary part of the experience and they've done it in a way that's been really compelling. The only times I've ever found that photography in games has been engaging is when it has been a central mechanic.
1: That's not true. You, You always rave about the photo modes and the Horizon Zero Dawn and those kind of Sony photo modes. Well, I mean, I actually draw, I draw,
0: I do, sorry, you're you're right. I I do draw a little bit of a distinction there in that with those ones the character's not taking the photo, so it's more about you as the player stepping back to view the world. Whereas it, it's not a mechanic within the game's fiction as such, so t- playing around with the photo mode of Ghost of Tsushima or whatever actually takes you out out of the game while you're playing with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think that's where something. I draw the distinction. Um, Monster
3: Hunter. Monster Hunter. I yeah, have there's, there's a camera in that game for some reason. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes, yeah. it's yeah. your, your, pretty... your, your little owl buddy that
2: holds the camera i, I, I guess oh, we can all agree okay. that the best they'll sell the game then must be wind waker because wind waker had the photo camera
3: i don't yeah. know oh, i'm trying to think uh, what game had the camera oh it's bioshock it's bioshock where they got you to take photos of the enemies to get bonuses that actually you speak of horror
0: uh, project zero is the best <laughs> as far as horror games <laughs> and cameras go because that is where the camera is the entire mechanic and they've used it in a really intelligent way in, in um in Project Zero, because the whole point is that you have to encourage the, the ghost to get close to you to get a good score in those games when you're shooting them to fight them. But the natural impulse in horror is to keep the enemy away from you. So the developers, I mean, the the, the basic principle of Project Zero really works because it subvert it kind of inverts your natural response in a horror game to force you to play in a different way, and it kind of heightens the fear as a result of that. I really like what they've done with the camera stuff in Project Zero. It's, it's a bit it unfortunate.
3: It's spooky Pokemon Snap.
0: It is. It's spooky Pokemon Snap, but it really works, and it's unfortunate that it's a Nintendo property now because Nintendo doesn't know what to do with Project Zero. <laughs> and
3: It sounds like that... What, when you're describing those mechanics, it sounds like what the original Resident Evils were trying to do, which is while there's a thing coming at you and you're really scared, you're fumbling with controls to try and shoot it and conserve as much ammo as you can. So you're fighting against your instinct of panic by using precise controls.
0: In a sense. I mean, I think Resident Evil still gives you the tools to keep the enemy at arm's length. Um, there was certainly one of the guns, it was the shotgun, wasn't it? Where you had to let the enemy get quite close to you to get a good headshot in. If you think about the entire game being around that, where you're holding the gun up, waiting for the enemy to get into the specific range zone to angle the gun right to hit them um, in the head, that's basically how the entire Project Zero games work, where, again, you're you're standing there with your camera and the ghost is spinning around you and, and whatever, and you actually need to wait for the ghost to get close, close enough to damage you, to do... Uh, uh, to take a photo which damages the ghost in return and get a good amount of damage onto the ghost. So, yeah, that was a really neat mechanic. And I think that that's probably... In terms of using the camera as a combat system, I think that's probably the best example I can think of that video games have done.
3: I also kind of like what Kingdom Hearts does with the camera because in the third game... They realize that the whole draw of the game is to basically go through this big theme park. So they've hidden all those um symbols, like hidden Mickey symbols everywhere. And you know, pull out the camera to document that you found them, and your party members will make poses whenever they see that they're in the middle of the lens. So it's this nice like celebration of the game's world. It lets you slow down because you remember that there's time to just stop and take a photo or something.
0: And I think that's a good use of it as well, that it is that kind of um that, that way of encouraging you, to, encouraging you to engage with the world as you play, because to take a photo, you actually have to be looking through the lens at the world itself, and it gives you that moment to just appreciate the space that you're in. I always, uh, another one that I always really liked, it wasn't, unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, it wasn't that one that you had manual control over, but Final Fantasy 15 did some great things with photos as well, because one of the characters that was in your party was mad keen on photography. Oh, that was and, fun. Yeah, I Yeah, that. and as you actually went through the dungeons and whatever, he would be taking photos <laughs> while you were fighting bosses and whatever, rather than being helpful. And then at the end of the <laughs> day at the end of the day you get these like this kind of mini album of, of photos that he's taken of moments through your day's adventure. That was a pretty neat touch.
3: I remember they were really good that. photos too. And oh, also he was, good. he was the he was the party's gunner, so he like shot them with guns and also shot them with cameras. It was pretty funny
0: yeah yeah he was neat um that was a neat game in general i'm looking forward to that game being revised by the gamers in a couple of generations as a classic as happens with final fantasy games
3: oh yeah people are gonna come around to final fantasy 13 first
0: it is happening now you're definitely seeing that start to happen people are starting to go oh but actually final fantasy 13 was good it was um (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad you're all starting to realize that.
3: <laughs> I mean, Twelve only just had its moments, right? So,
0: yeah, the Duke re-releases is starting... helped that. With the re-releases, people were like, "Oh, yeah, actually, that game wasn't as bad as I remember." Uh, it always happens with Final Fantasy. Actually, while we're talking about photo modes, I'm going to put out a. I'm, I'm going to mention the uh, the printer that you can get for the uh, Nintendo Switch, which I picked up last week. So. Film and Nintendo did this little partnership that is tied into Pokemon Snap, where they're one of those instant photo printers that are pocket-sized and you can carry around with you anywhere. You can get kind of specialised Pokemon stickers so that you can print out your favourite Pokemon, and it has the nice little frame and stuff. It is a really neat little printer, and it reminded me of the original Game Boy printer, if anybody was old enough on this podcast to remember that.
2: That wasn't that long ago. That was it really, wasn't that
3: long ago.
0: <laughs> 22 years ago. <laughs> well, I, sometimes I forget how long you guys have been playing video games. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, I remember how cool <laughs> it was to print a barcode on that thing. I was I around for that's Alan, we need
1: cardboard. to worry about.
3: Oh, Alan, that's right. Alan's Alan, the one who's too Alan young to
0: actually ran. have experience any of this stuff. But yeah, yeah the, the Game Boy printer, which would print like 16 by 16 pixel photos. And that was pretty cool back in the day. Anyway, this one reminds me of that experience of printing low-quality photos, or um, well, small-resolution photos, of your favorite moments while you're playing your video games. And as somebody who has a big library of screenshots to go through, I'm going to be doing a lot of printing <laughs> the next couple of weeks, <laughs> especially as I start to add all my favorite Pokemon in it. It's pretty expensive, because each print works out at about a dollar a print. And well,
3: It's the Polaroid, right?
0: Yeah, it's a Polaroid technology, and um, Pokemon Snap alone has 200 Pokemon, so if I'm actually going to print out every single Pokemon that I meet along the way, I'm going to be looking at $200 just off that game.
3: And that's the real DLC.
0: And don't get me started on my photo libraries from Dead or Alive Extreme, because I've got big big libraries of screenshots (laughs) from that game. We weren't going to get you started on that one, don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I can talk about it because Alan's not on the podcast, you see. So Dead or Alive Extreme is a good example of photo modes in games. Uh, <laughs> that really works because it's a your simulator. And, yeah, you end up with a lot of
3: screenshots playing that game. Just imagining Alan seething listening to this right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's going to be so mad when he listens back to
2: this. I don't know. I feel like there's a, a bit of a disconnect because it's just essentially clipping mode. <laughs>
0: Clippy mode? What's Clippy mode?
2: You know, back in the day, you used to turn on no clipping mode and you'd fly around oh. the levels.
0: <laughs> no clipping modes.
2: Yes. <laughs> no clipping mode is pretty fun.
3: I remember flying around D Dust on Counter Strike and just being like, "Hey, this is an interesting angle. I've been in
0: before." Actually, Should that it? would be that would be what? pretty fun if you were to take a first person shooter, right? And instead of guns, everybody has photos cameras. And you gotta go around getting like shots of people.
3: That would be fun actually.
0: Why has no one made that? I would so play that. And then the the you know, whoever gets the best photo and you have the kind of the judging system just like um in Pokemon Snap, whoever gets the best framed photo or whatever is the one that wins that round. That'd be pretty good fun. You have to hide and seek and
3: We used to pop play that in real life. Back when everyone had those Sony cyber shots, we used to play like photo
0: tag yeah photo tagging that'd be good fun why have they not made a game like that before why have we come up with all these great ideas for games
3: on this podcast and nobody's actually going to listen to them (laughs) that's free real estate we should we should become a game publisher as we did in the great facebook ending of 2021 (laughs) yeah yeah don't get
0: me started anyway (laughs) we'll give this podcast a wrap i think Thank you, everybody, for jumping on and chatting. Good to have you on, Matt and Harvard and Trent. Thank you, everybody, for listening, as always. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Um, We're going to wrap with some music. Matt can pick it because he hasn't picked the music yet. And we will see you next month.